Hello and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Thursday, January 5th, 2023. I'm Mike Cachopoli. All right, here we go. Speeding through the first week of the new year. Speeding through the first week of the new year. And um, we seem to have uh, hit a stalemate. Is that what you call it? A stalemate? Yes, yes. This is a stalemate um, in in the house. There are people who will not move, will not budge. And it seems as though things are going the wrong way for Mr. McCarthy. The wrong way for Congressman-elect McCarthy at this point, as he's losing votes, he's not gaining votes. Usually in this process, where you run through 10 rounds of voting and such, you hope to at least in those 10 rounds gain a few votes. And in those 10 rounds, I believe in those 10 rounds, he's lost three or four votes, right? I think he started out with 203. Now he's down to 200. So he started out needing needs 18 more votes to win. So it's going in the wrong direction for Mr. McCarthy. It's going in the wrong direction. You know, they say, and we've said this during COVID many times, that Doing the same thing that isn't working over and over again, expecting a better outcome, is the definition of insanity. So what is it called when you do the same thing over and over again and you get worse results and you keep doing it? Do you think, does he think at some point all of a sudden things are going to reverse and go the other way? Now, once again, as I watch the, the, the coverage, as I, as I watch the legacy media coverage in between days, and I watched the social media coverage in between in between days, in between votes, rounds of voting. I I try in the situation like this. <laughs> I try in this. Daniel says it's called woke. Well, I don't know how woke Kevin McCarthy is, but uh, I'd say Kevin McCarthy's probably just about the opposite of woke. But but as I watch the as I as I watch the results coming in, as I watch the the the, the commentary coming in, it's. It seems to be of two different camps of the camp of this is democracy. This is the way the process should be, right? This is the way the process should be. And just because the process, as I said on the show yesterday, just because the process hasn't been this way for a hundred years, doesn't mean it's a good thing. In fact, that's probably a bad thing that for a hundred years, there's been no real progress made as far as real debate. Right. A hundred years. It was just so think about that. A hundred years. It's been a, almost exactly. I think I think it was 1923, a hundred years since we've had anything like this where it takes multiple rounds. Right. So a hundred years. I'm, I, I know I'm not that great at math, but I'm pretty good at math. So that would mean 50 new Congresses. Right. There's a new Congress every other year. So in those hundred years, 50 Congresses and in each one of them. They pretty much just elected the speaker, whether it was a Republican or Democrat, de facto. It was just, it was known. It was known. And there was no debate, real debate. There was no uh, real negotiating. It was just, we know who it's going to be, and on day one, they're in. Round one, they're in. That's not a good thing. And there are people who will try to spin that and saying, well, no, it is a good thing, because that means they've got their shit together. 
No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean they've got their shit together because on votes they can never get – on real votes for the people, they never have their shit together. But when it comes to the Speaker of the House, then they have their shit together and there's no debating and there's no angst. It's not a good thing. I'd rather have it the other way around. Maybe it will be in this Congress. I'd rather have it the other way around where it takes weeks to find the Speaker, but when it comes to real bills that affect the people, they can get their shit together and get them done. Good things quickly. I'd rather see it that way, but that's not the way it's been for 100 years. For 100 years, the speaker's been automatic like that, automatic, right? Lately, of course, Pelosi, automatic. And when it comes to bills, then there's all this, oh, we can't do it now. It'll be, take three weeks. It takes a month. It takes five months. We have to go through three rounds of bills. we got to send it back. To, so don't give me this nonsense. These people who are saying, oh, it's great that it's been this way for 100 years. With There's no Michigas because it shows they got their shit together. That's nonsense. All it shows is that the establishment always gets their way. Okay? All it shows is like the big wigs like Pelosi always get their way. They're always able to bully everyone, even the new people in Congress into voting for them. That's all. Okay? It's, it, it means status quo. It, it means we've had the status quo for a century. That's all this means. Okay? We've had the status quo for a century. So because this is the first time in 100 years this has happened, doesn't mean – that this is bad and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the way it's been is good. I think that's nonsense. So there's that camp, right? And there's also the camp of, but McConnell, McConnell, doesn't it mean McConnell? Mick, 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 McConnell, McCarthy. McCarthy went through kind of like the primary process where he got 85% and his opponents got 15%. And that, that's a huge win. And in that process... They had debates, right? And the 15% lost, and McConnell won, M- McCarthy won easily. And uh, so he's been through that process already. So why does he have to go through this again? Well, it's written in the Constitution that way. <laughs> it's written in the Constitution that way. You have the preliminary voting, and then you have the voting when the Congress, when the new Congress comes in. And that's the way it works. So change the Constitution if you don't like it, but don't complain about that. I mean, I understand. You know, this whole idea of that was like the primary and this is like the general election versus the Democrats. Everyone should be on board. But that's not really the way it is. That's not really that even even because that's the way that has been doesn't mean that's the way it was written into the Constitution. It doesn't mean this way is wrong. And of course, those people will say, but McCarthy's got 200 votes. So the 90 percent of the people of the Congress people now of of the people in Congress now want him. Want him. 90% want him. So why should they be hijacked? Why should they be terrorized by 10% by the, 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 the tyranny of the minority? Well, look, as I mentioned before, you can look at it as like a, a court case, right? You go to trial. And there are 10, there are 12 jurors, and two of them want, let's say, not guilty, and 10 want guilty. Do we, do we say those two that want not guilty, that look at the evidence and decide not guilty are terrorists, that they're, they're hijacking the court, that they're holding the other 10 people hostage? No, we don't say that. So why are idiots like Brit Hume? Why are we still talking to Brit Hume, by the way? Um, why does he say something like that? That these 20, 25 people, by the way, ever growing number of people in the minority, are, they're, they're terrorists or they're terrorizing or they're holding hostage. They're taking hostages. It's, it's bullshit. That's bullshit. Because we don't say that about two jurors 
who are holding out, when they have looked at evidence, just like the other 10, and they have decided a different way. So these 20, 25 people have looked at the evidence and they've decided a different way. It doesn't mean that they're terrorists or trying to take over the party or destroy the party. Just the way two jurors who wouldn't be aren't trying to destroy a case or destroy the court. It's silly talk. It's it's stupid. If they just if if morons like Brit Hume would just think about that for a second, think about the analogy. They they stopped themselves before they said something so stupid. But a lot of people are saying that. I shouldn't just pick on Brit Hume, but I saw him say it. And others have been saying it also. You know, that they're trying to uh they're trying to destroy the Republican Party. Which is stupid. They're Republicans. Maybe they want a different party. Does that mean they're trying to destroy it? This was the same idiotic thought that establishment Democrats had with Bernie Sanders and progressives. And you know I'm no friend of the progressive or Bernie Sanders anymore, but the idea was back then that they were trying to destroy the party. No, no, they wanted a different Democratic Party. They wanted to change it. doesn't mean they were trying to destroy it. What are they destroying? What is with tradition anyway? This whole, this whole stupidity of tradition. Why is, why is tradition so important? Seriously, why is tradition such an important thing? We have to have a traditional Democratic Party, whatever that means, a traditional Republican Party. And there could be no real, you know, there could be no real uh, thought this is a process that is going to play out one way or another. Either McCarthy will, will stand strong and go through many, many rounds, or he will step down and someone else will step in and see if they can get to 218. But it's not as simple as just vote for McCarthy, and it's not as simple as just have McCarthy step down and have someone like Jordan step in, because then you'll have – see, then what's going to happen is of oh, those 200 people that, that want McCarthy, there's going to be a percentage of them. Who, who are going to be pissed off and are not going to vote for the new person because they want McCarthy. So then are they going to be called terrorists? You see, this is the process. The One person is a terrorist now and another person is a terrorist tomorrow, right? Because they're holdouts or they're changing their minds. It's just a democratic process. And I don't like this. I, I expect Democrats to call Republicans terrorists. They do all the time, right? They call anyone who disagrees with them a terrorist. But I, I, I expect more right now from the Republican Party and Republicans and, and Republicans on television, on Fox, Fox and Friends, Hannity, whoever it may be. I expect more than this nonsense of these people who don't want McCarthy or terrorists because they don't want McCarthy. They're, 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 they're terrorizing the party. There's the one guy they don't want. They're tearing down the Republican Party. It's idiotic. It's idiotic. I think these people, in a way, represent most and if you look at polls from what i understand i'll have to dig them up but i'm, I'm seeing that there are polls that show that at least 50 percent if not more than 50 percent of republican voters don't want mccarthy they want someone else so when the 90 percent who are voting for mccarthy go on television when one of those guys goes on television like crenshaw and says that the the 10 percent are holding the american people hostage that's not necessarily true, because when you poll the American people, many more of them don't want McCarthy. So the, the elites in Congress want McCarthy, but most Republican voters don't seem to be too enamored with him. So it's kind of the opposite of what people like Crenshaw say. The actual people don't want McCarthy. The 200 elites in Congress, they do want McCarthy. So who's more important, the 200 elites in Congress or the millions of American people that they supposedly represent, you see?
So this is not so as cut and dry as people will make it seem. That these, it's so easy. Once again, it's like easy to call anybody disagrees, disagrees with you a terrorist, a racist, a white nationalist. Just as it's really easy to call the 2025 holdouts people who are, you know, terrorists, hijackers who want to destroy the Republican Party. But these labels are stupid. It's just not true. Now, if you look at the reasoning of some of them as they talk about this stuff, some reasons make more sense than others, right? And some are really, uh, some of the holdouts are better articulating why they're holding out, okay? They're, they're just better at it. Well, they'll talk about, you know, they'll, they'll talk about things that really matter, right? Things you can really connect with, like the same old, same old, like hearings being actual hearings, not just de facto. I can, I can relate to that. I say, yes, you got me on that one, you know? And, or, or, or talking about the Republicans that voted for this ridiculous omnibus bill and how they want to stop that crap. So I can get that kind of stuff, right? And then there are some who just they 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 just can't really articulate why they don't like McCarthy. You know, they'll 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 say very broad things that you really can't relate to. But it doesn't make them bad people. It doesn't make them wrong. It just it's just they don't articulate as well as some other people. But I think the, the overall thought is that he's an establishment stooge. I think that's the overall thought is that he's an establishment stooge. Um, and they don't want another establishment stooge. They don't. They want something different. They want real change. They don't want the status quo again. So, you know, the Democrats take over and they fail. The Republicans take over and they fail. And it goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth because the American people get tired of the Democrats failing. So they put in Republicans and they fail. And they put. So this is the cycle that some of these people are talking about. I don't think we can really argue with that. I don't think we can really argue with that fact. They're probably right. Nothing really ever gets done that helps the American people. And when something supposedly gets done, like Obamacare, it's total garbage. And as the years go by, it becomes more and more garbage and more and more boondoggle for the health insurance industry. So there's really nothing. Remember when that got done? Remember uh, Trump? Uh, uh, Trump. Remember uh, Biden was like, this is a big deal, Jack. This is a big deal, Barack. Big deal. Well, it's not a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal for the health insurance companies. They're making more money than ever. They're making more money than ever. So what we have seen over the past decade is the health insurance companies making more money than ever, big pharma making more money than ever. But all we hear about on TV every day is the average person is losing. The the inflation's gone up and wages aren't aren't, aren't catching up to inflation and gas is going up. So this is what those people are talking about. Point to the establishment, the status quo really doing good for 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 the masses. And you really can't point to much. And so that's what they want to change. Now, I don't know if McCarthy being the head of that is going to prevent that from changing. I don't know if Jim Jordan being the head of it is going to make it change. But this is what they 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 want to try something different. They want to try something different. And I can't really blame them for it. I can't blame them. I, I think let's put it this way. I think. The the um, the reasoning behind it is true and honest. I don't think they just don't like McCarthy. I don't think that they're just not friends with him. I don't think it's just a childish like eighth grade thing. Like a lot of these people would like to make you believe. I don't think they're doing it just to stomp their feet and say we're important. I I don't think that's why they're doing it. I really don't. So I think they're doing it for good reasons. And I truly do believe that the Republican Party, this Republican Congress, will be stronger for this. After this process, what doesn't kill you, make you stronger. 
And it won't kill them. I mean, they'll eventually find McCarthy or someone else. And it might take days or weeks, but they'll get there. They'll get there. Um, and so it, I, I kind of get upset when people just say stupid things like the minorities. The, the, so you're in the minority. You're a terrorist because you're in the minority. So that's what I'm saying. Is the minority in every case a ter- terror? Is the minority in every case terrorists? Are they hijacking? Is the minority always trying to hijack and hold the majority hostage? Do we talk like that normally in life? Of course not. So why should we talk that way now? It's silly. It's dumb. Someone who's not. That's very kind of you, Mike. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, very good. Cool. Look, I was, I've just run through a bit of this with um, Sabrina Salvati on her show, and I kind of want to bounce it off you on speaker thing, okay, and just see if it makes sense to you and if I'm reasonable in how I'm viewing this, right? Now, the way I see McCarthy is the first question that comes to my mind is, why is he being marketed as the shoe-in for the job? What did he do to earn it? What's his qualification? Because there isn't a published skill set requirement for the speaker. And my understanding is that it is because McCarthy has played a role throughout his political career for long enough that has enabled him to do enough deals with each congressional member to further their campaigns or careers or whatever, that now he's effectively calling in all of those favours because the favour that he wants is to be given a speaker's job and therefore he believes that he can get the minimum number of votes of 218 after this much time and that is nothing to do with citizens or democracy there's everything to do with america inc being run as a business where he is one of the senior managers inside the corporation and he is using standard business techniques um, over a long period of time to get what he wants at the end right? or later on. Now, from this point, I would say that pe- people are asking, Sabi Sabas was asking the question, how do you feel about the fact that the Democrats have never done this technique before, but now the Republicans have savvied up and they're doing it? And I would, I say, well, one of the possible reasons why the Democrats didn't do it recently is because in a, it, business likes a stable set of rules. Business wants to work in environments where predictability, rule of law and stability are king. And if the Democrats have been running and living in a world that they had enough incumbent power, the rule set was established and everyone on both sides of the aisles, all of these senior managers knew how to make money and the business interest that they represented knew how to make money. And you correctly identified that that's on big picture level rotating. Now it's the time of big pharma. Previously, it was the time of something else. It's always the time of the military industrial complex and the surveillance complex. That's a constant ongoing thing. Um, it's business. It's a bunch of national managers serving the business interest. Now, I would argue that just now, these minority people, uh, this Freedom Caucus, has decided, right, that they see an opportunity. They know that basically enough Congress people agree that McCarthy is owed the job. So they're going to try to put him in because it's the that's the deal they've all done. Mm. But by holding off and being this 
problematic minority, they get to exploit and lever for the changes that they want. I mean, there's a, quite a few things that they're getting. And that is simply good business negotiation. They just simply understand that they've got a business opportunity, that they can be enough of a defining factor and they and they can they should do it. And 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 the one numeric thing that works in their favour, as I understand your system, is that any speaker needs to get two hundred and eighteen votes, not just who of the nominated speakers got the most votes. And it's yeah, because yeah. you've got that hard threshold, right, right for right. anyone, that you can exploit that hard threshold in the way that's been done. Because otherwise, if you didn't have that hard minimum threshold, anyone could vote for anyone and you would just give the job to the highest vote. You mean instead of the, instead of the majority, the plurality, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Right. So, so, well. so, so you can't have any speaker unless that speaker gets 218, which is why you can't just have Donald Trump being put up and he suddenly scores fifth, uh, you know, he scores 200, McCarthy scores 199, somebody else scores, you know, the, the change Oh fuck it, it ends up being Donald Trump. That, that system's rigged to give you a speaker that the congressional voters all know they owe the job to, if you see what I mean. Yeah, well, also the whole idea of the majority is that it makes the when – you, when you put the majority in 218, it makes the, the, the party that wins the House the party that's going to get the speaker, right? If you just – once again, if we just did the – if we did the plurality, Hakeem Jeffries would win. Mm-hmm. He's ahead. He, he got the most votes. He got 212 mm-hmm. votes. So that that's I think that's the main reason why they made it the majority. So the majority rules. In other words, if, if the Republicans have 218, they have the majority of the House, they're going to get the speaker. If Democrats have 218, they're going to get the speaker. So that's 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 what now there was talk about changing that possibly. And they can change it now, I think. Um, as I was watching Fox yesterday, if they wanted to, they could change it, I believe, the rules if they decide to the plurality. As you're mm-hmm. talking, instead of the majority, but they're not going to do that because then Hakeem Jeffries can sneak in, right? So that's 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 the problem there. You know, if the Republicans change it to the plurality, they, they could be handing the speaker to Hakeem Jeffries. So it, it's um, it, but but I think the thinking of changing it is what you're talking about. You see, the idea of changing it and then taking a vote is then Republicans will get together because they don't want Hakeem Jeffries to win. So then, then Kevin McCarthy will get more votes than 212 because the Republicans, as much as they don't like Hakeem, Je- as, as much as they don't like Kevin McCarthy, they're not going to like, they don't want Hakeem Jeffries to be their speaker. But that's a dangerous game to play because you don't know if that's going to happen, right? So it, it could be where those holdouts say, you know what? F you. Now, now Hakeem Jeffries is going to be the speaker because you didn't give us what we want. There's always this shot, the outside shot that they would do that. And that would be a problem. I mean, that would be, of course, unprecedented. And a to- that would be a total calamity for the Republican Party if they just took over the House to have a Democrat Speaker of the House again. So um, that's not going to happen. They're going to stick with this majority. They're going to have to get to 218. And, uh, you know, and, and someone's going to get there, whether they give those 20 or 25 holdouts what they want, more, more of what they want, which is the more, most likely scenario. Or Kevin McCarthy steps aside and someone like Jim Jordan or someone else takes the, you know, takes the reins. But I, I don't know if that person can get to 218 either. But I, I mean, person, you know. OK, so there's two questions I have in my mind, which is the first one is what does this tell me or show me about your governance system? 
This looks to me like a job candidate, an interviewee, going to a, for a job interview and the, and the panel liking him. But instead of offering them in the job, the panel say, in order for you to get this job, you need to give us 50 grand, a blow job, and a go in your Maserati, right? And now you know why that wasn't my job. But I'm bummed. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Sorry. Yeah. And, and that's and that's and and then you can have the seat. Then you can have this job, right? And the guy is actually going, yeah, okay. And then and then and then once he says okay, then the panel says right. And now we need to have sex with your wife. And then he's going okay. And then, <laughs> right. And then and then they say and then they say and we need ten years of your kids' labour, right? And, and eventually, after 10 rounds of this, he eventually gets the seat. That's what this looks like to me, right? Because Kevin McCarthy is agreeing to change rules mm-hmm. on the on the assumption that he's going to get the job, right? Which mm-hmm. which doesn't make sense, right? It, it, it shows you that literally your system is running on extortion, right? In a way, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. partly partly built on the presumption that he is going to be the guy in a job, right? Which is Which is also, again corrupt why would you presume to give this guy the job when there's no he has no discernible differentiating skills against a job set a a, a job definition right loads of other people can do this job whatever the job of the speaker is is. it's because it because i mean is there a formal job description with minimum skill set i bet there isn't and the fact that other people are lining up for it and it can be anyone outside of the outside of the speaker's house it doesn't have to be a congressional member does it it can be um a trammer yes right oh, yeah yeah so so that tells you that there's no specific skill set required right so that's the that's the first question about th- this is showing me that your system runs on a form of extortion right weirdly and then the second thing is um well actually i can't remember the second thing that was enough right it, it doesn't <laughs> sound, I've, I, have I got that right? I mean, have I got have my perception of this fair, or am I sort of spinning my own fantasy? I, I don't know if it's total extortion. It's deal making. You know, it's deal. If you if, if you see the the film, the movie Hamilton, the musical Hamilton, right? Even back then, they were making deals, wheeling and dealing, right? So I don't I don't know if you call it extortion, but it it I think the whole idea of the speaker can be anybody is that. The founding fathers wanted to make it a real process where it's not just the people – it's not just the, the people who are elected in the pool, but it can go outside that pool. And I think when you do something like that – and that's very rare. The only thing – the only thing when it comes to Congress that someone from outside of Congress can be involved with is Speaker of the House, right? I can't be a de facto senator, right? I can't be a de facto congressman. I can't vote on, on regular things. And even the Speaker of the House – would not be if the Speaker of the House is not a Congressperson. They would. In other words, if I was Speaker of the House, I wouldn't get a vote on anything. I'd be the Speaker. Mm-hmm. I could organize. I can talk. I'd have a bully pulpit. But I wouldn't be an elected Congressperson, so I would not have a vote. So it's just. I think the point of that, the, the, the reason why the Founding Fathers, I believe, this is my interpretation. I mean, there might be constitutional scholars who have a different, you know, reasoning. But my reasoning is they wanted that particular position. To really be a real debate. And, and I think that's because they felt that was – I think it's maybe the opposite of what you say a little bit. I think they might have felt that is the, a very important position, which is why they would open the pool up to people, to maybe scholars or intellects. I, I don't think they wanted a, you know, Joe the plumber. 
<laughs> to be Speaker of the House, but other people, people maybe who used to be in Congress. Yeah, but, wait, but whilst but whilst you're tying the position to a min a hard minimum number of votes, you know that that automatically makes impossible getting anyone outside of Congress into that job because the de facto structure here is that it's all the people in Congress are the mm -hmm. only ones with the vote. Mm -hmm. So it's all of their vested interests being served by the vote in order to get them over the 218 line, right? Yeah. That means that none of those people have any vested interest in voting in somebody from outside of Congress because that person from outside of Congress has never done them any political deals. So they don't Wait, owe a, minute, them wait a minute. You don't think if this was a year ago, Donald Trump would have a real legitimate shot? No. I, 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 I kind of disagree with you on wait, that. Because, because, wait, right, because it, the, the same rules apply. It, it, Donald Trump has not agreed over a period, a, a long political career, he's not greased the palms of all of his buddies in Congress, he hasn't helped them with fundraising, he hasn't known where the bodies are buried of all of these people, and he, and he, and he hasn't let, let loads of them sleep with his wife, right? Well, well he might have done, but... And and so so there is no political con the people on the floor of Congress had very little, if no, political collateral with Donald Trump, which is why he will never be a speaker, right? Even though he's been a president. So whereas Kevin McCarthy has been in Congress for God knows how long, has ticked all the boxes I just listed, and yeah, more, well, I, I think and I therefore think, will yeah. do. No, I spoke about this earlier, earlier in the week. It's the fundraising is, the, is one of the biggest parts of that job, right? Yeah. So they want someone who has fundraised for them, who has shown they can fundraise, who knows how to do that for the upcoming election, you know, for the next election and the election after that. That's what they want. I mean, that, that's the bait. That's, that's, they, won't, they won't say it. They won't say it. They very rarely say it. Other than the McCarthy 200 now, some of them are saying, well, these 2025 McCarthy raise money for them. They, they son of a bitches aren't, aren't you know, they're, they're, now they're stabbing him in the back after he just got them elected. So those people are mentioning money. But we know that most of them aren't coming out and saying he's a great money raiser. That's why we want him to be Speaker of the House. But you and I know that is the number one reason. That is number one reason they want him to be Speaker of the House because just that's the number one reason why Pelosi won all the time. You know, I'm sure she was very grating to a lot of people, but she was able to bring in huge amounts of money. She was able to help them get reelected. So they wanted her the head of everything. And this is the same thing with McCarthy. And I understand, yes, Trump is not a money raiser, blah, blah. But he, let's put it this way. I, I, I don't know if I agree with you on, on – on, in, in general, I agree with you. But I think the exception being – and maybe it's my own form of Trump derangement syndrome of a different kind. But my, my general feeling is if this was a year ago, if Trump was really still the number one head honcho of the Republicans and he was – winning all the polls and the people are still behind him. And it was before all of his candidates lost and before, you know, maybe recent things with Mar-a-Lago and all that nonsense. I think Trump would have a real legitimate shot simply because, simply because those people, Trump has raised money, but he has raised, and Trump has raised money. He, he, you know, he gives speeches and he goes to events and he does raise money. He knows how to raise money. But uh, also those people who were elected and wanted to be reelected would not would not want to let their voters down because their voters would want Trump. Their voters would still love Trump. Many Republican voters would still love Trump enough where by not voting for him might hurt those Congress people in their next election. Now, it's not the case anymore. 
It's not the case anymore. Trump Trump has damaged goods. There are many, many districts where he's not liked. That's why you can never get to 218. There's no way he could get to 218 of 222. Because in too many of those districts now, his, his value has gone downhill. And so those, those Congress people don't have to be pressured into voting for him. In fact, they don't want to vote for him. But I, I do think a year – once again, this is neither here nor there, right? This is not a year ago. It's now. So I think right now, obviously, Trump has no shot of getting more than a handful of votes. Um, and, and also, you know, this tradition thing, right, this tradition thing, they don't want to break the tradition of the Speaker of the House being one of them. Like you said, it's one of them and within the party and not someone from outside Congress. They're not, they're not going to do that. That's too, that's too maverick. You know, that's too, that, that's too out there um, for them to do that. They're not going to do that. But it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's fun to talk about. And Matt Gates, you, did you see Matt Gates got up earlier today and said, I nominate Donald John Trump? Mm. But he, he did that just to kind of, you know, be a wise just ass. Big bluff. And, and, yeah, it's just theatric, theatrics. Yeah, it's theatrics. It's theatrics. It's, it's, it's really basically him saying, I'm not voting for McCarthy. Mm. Period. Period. You know, so, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just, and he's not going to. And McCarthy can't because it's such a razor – because of Donald Trump, it's such a razor-tight margin they have that he can't afford to lose more than what? Four. You know, so it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know how he gets to 218. I don't see the path to victory right now without some real behind-the-scenes back room wheeling and dealing. But, Gator, I really do appreciate these holdouts not being weak-kneed. The way the Democratic holdouts for Pelosi was so weak need. Remember AOC? You know, there, there are so many of those so-called phony fucking progressives who ran and ran, uh, ran against Pelosi, right? They actually ran against Pelosi to get elected. And then once they're in there, oh, Speaker of the House. She Hang on. Be, yeah. Yeah. And, but it's, look, and, I mean, because, actually... and it's because she came to them or either she or her staff or other Congress people came to them and said, you better re- – you're not going to get a yeah. fucking dime. They, they controlled her, yeah. Right. You're not going to get a fucking dime for your next election if you don't vote for And I guarantee you that's happening to a lot of these holdouts. Of and course, saying, yeah. And they're saying, go fuck yourself. And I really appreciate that. That much I can appreciate. They're not folding because they're being threatened with not getting enough money. For the well, they – w- w- okay, but, but I, I think that these 20 guys – understand that they now have a business opportunity they can now have some leverage and they're using that leverage right what when 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 they have the chance but yeah i mean this this issue about aoc or whoever and others came up in this savvy sab show and she actually explicitly said that she has talked to people in that world and they said that aoc and or her family members were basically threatened if she didn't wrote, uh, toe the line with regard to Pelosi. And that's what, after that moment, essentially, that's when AOC then switched and said, oh, he called her a mama bear or something like that because she was literally threatened. Now, um, and I pointed out... Well, she's literally, that, literally threatened money-wise, not her life. No, apparently some of her family members may have been threatened. With I know, I don't care. believe that. No, no, I don't well, you, know, you never know. But the thing <laughs> is, but, but okay, bear this in mind. If you look at Bernie Sanders, right, I believe that Bernie Sanders and AOC are the t- are two uh, pawn shills, right? They're basically positioned inside the DNC to draw in 
the left-leaning American voter, right, and keep them in the keep their vote in the Democratic Party instead of right. in independence, right? And then basically in 2016, even though all of the fraud was shown in the DNC, Podesta, and um, uh, and Clinton emails, Bernie was told your role now, if you wish to accept it, is to is to toe the line with us. Do not raise a legal challenge against the party or Clinton or whoever. And if you do that, you will remain in your position for the rest of your life or until you retire. And you won't really have to do anywhere near the real level of campaign fundraising because we'll just allocate you cash in the party. And so you've been this job for life and you can say what you want, but you but you don't get to really rock the boat and you're not going for the primary. But you will just have now this job for life. Right. right. I reckon they could have easily bought Bernie Sanders for that. Right. But also, if you look at what Hillary Clinton did when people brought rape charges against Bill, what did she do as secretary of state? She weaponized the IRS against every single one of the women who brought charges. Now, if you if you want to control anyone, you either bribe them, basically find the price because most people have a price or you could weaponize the IRS and just say, look, if you don't play ball, you'd be tied up with the IRS like we've done before for, for five years and we'll look at every single one of your family members and every single one of your business dealings and in there somewhere there'll be something that we can bang you up for and even if you don't get banged up you'll be fucked with the with the process for so long you won't be going on holiday anytime soon that those are all standard techniques that have actually been used in the past i i think you know all this is possible but i think they're very standard techniques of getting people on board and it's like i said it, it starts with the money right we're not going to help you raise money or or we'll find opponents right to primary you we'll find people to primary you and give them five million dollars and blah 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 so they can do that uh they can also threaten them with not simply not giving them any power for two years not putting them any committees right you won't be on any committees we're not going to put you on any committees you're, you're done so then you're just not doing anything you have no real power so that they, they could do a lot of those things right or the opposite right and i think that's what this is the general this is like the mafia right we talk about the fauci mafia and we talked about the pelosi mafia yeah, yeah. this is the way the mafia works yeah they don't, any threat, they don't threaten you they don't threaten you at first they they, they want to give you things they say we're going to give you this we'll make your life easier if you play ball and then if you don't do that, then they go the other way. Yeah, but sure. Not sure. as hurt. There's no reason because they have the money. They have the power to do, to do good things for you to make your life easier and get what they want. They get to buy you, in other words. And yeah, that's what yeah, the, yeah. That, so in politics, it works the same way. At first, they're not going to go to someone like AOC and say, we're going to They'll go and say, we're going to give you this. We'll give you this. We'll make sure there's no one who primaries you. We'll give you money. We'll raise money. Yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah. I agree. And, I agree. And, It'll and be any or all of the techniques. Yeah. And for most people, that's going to be enough. They're going to say, OK. Now, if they say no to that, then they'll play hardball, you know. So that's basically the same process. And as I said, there's very little difference between Cosa Nostra and, and politics. The, yeah, differences are, for, the differences are in the Cosa Nostra, there's loyalty and good food. That's the difference. <laughs> well, there's, okay, loyalty but... and, there's loyalty and great food, and there's not any either of that in, pol in politics. But, but I, I think that, you know, I, I think that in this process that's going on now, you can imagine, I don't know what stage they're at, but at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if they went from the greasing the palm stage to the threatening stage. But it seems as though most of these people are holding strong. In fact, they're gaining ground. Other people are joining them. So this is what this means. It means they're not afraid of Gotti. 
they're not afraid of McCarthy. They're not. And there's a reason why they're not. Now, I can't, I don't know those reasons off the top of my head, but they're just not, he doesn't, maybe he doesn't have the cachet, cachet Pelosi has, right? Because she was speaker for so long that almost like a first time congressperson is at their weakest when they run for re-election. So maybe he's at his weakest now because he hasn't been speaker yet. And that's one reason why they have to hold out. And another reason why they have to hold out is they don't want to give him that power because then they'll feel he can keep that position forever, which is why they're trying to change this thing where one person can object and that can get the ball rolling for, for kicking him out of, of, you know, of his position. So mm-hmm. once again, how is this going to play out? I don't know. I just don't like the talk of like these people. are. Oh, I think um, – Someone on Fox and Friends used the word insurrectionist. Of all these, I mean, yeah. the right wing has is actually has the balls to use the word insurrectionist for this. I yeah, mean, but that's on. but but look, you you know to expect this tactic because because let's face it, binary polarization of the with us or against us um, flavor is is absolutely standard. When when did you see it? You've seen it in every conflict. You've seen it in COVID, and you're seeing it now. It's always it's it's other, it's about othering, isn't it? It's literally about the in group, the out group, the rapid establishment of that as fast as possible in the most polarizing way. And the thing is, once people have it done to them once, and then it becomes a standard modus operandi, they're preconditioned to sort of just lock into this binary thing. Life isn't really binary, right? But but people always come down to do, don't do something, nothing, you know, um, or, you know, and, 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 it, and, it, and that always looks like a binary choice when humans are actually very complicated. If you string enough binary sequential choices together and you get what looks like nuanced complexity, but it's actually still people choosing yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, right? That's, that's kind of a, a, a bit of an oversimplification. Right. But, right. but um, that, so, so to, to, to use that shitty binary of with us or against us, or you're a terrorist or you're not a terrorist, is puerile, but it works. It actually works, right? And all you mm-hmm. need to do to work out whether it works is listen to how puerile, binary, and partisan people actually become. Some of the shit I hear people say that they believe, and then you go, why do you believe that? And then they show you just somebody else's opinion that they haven't even bothered to pressure check. <laughs> and they just yeah, go, I'm just convinced by this guy's opinion because he sounds credible. It's like, are you right. fucking moron? Like, have you looked at the underpin of his claims? No. Why do you believe his stuff? You know, if, if people can do that with relatively complex issues, they can also be easily shifted on, on a fear-based narrative of with us or against us, terrorist or not a terrorist. And it's just a stupid mechanism that doesn't stand scrutiny, but it's a real propagandistic shortcut to getting straight into somebody's brain, basically. It absolutely is. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. You know, so it's... I, I think that this is the problem. I, I forgot who, who oh, Sebastian Gorka. I think he might have been the one who said this. It's like you look at what's going on with the with the establishment two hundred, let's say, who want McCarthy and the and the legacy media putting the pressure on on the on the holdouts, calling them all these names. And if you look at that, if you look at the whole, not not everyone is doing this, but mm-hmm. if you look at the whole, you certainly have people on you know MSNBC and CNN calling these twenty twenty five people horrible people who want to destroy the Republican Party, showing you how horrible and extreme the Republican Party's become. And then you certainly have uh, half to three quarters of the people on, on Fox, let's say, saying that these people are insurrectionists and they're holding things up and they want to tear the party down. They're being selfish. 
if you look at the whole, look at the whole of who the legacy media, the side, the legacy media is on. And that's the establishment McCarthy side, right? So when you start to look at that, you start to say, hmm, why? Why? Are they ever on the right side of anything? Are they ever on the good side of anything? Are they ever on the side of anything that helps the masses? Nope, never. No, they're so, on the side of serving business. They're on the side of serving business and just serving the establishment, just serving the status quo. Because if, if, you're, a, if you're a wealthy person, if you're a celebrity, if you're a millionaire, you, why would you want the status quo to change? Yeah, correct. You want a predictable, plausible, uh, sorry, predictable, stable, rules-based business environment so that you can continue doing your business into the foreseeable future in a in a in a in a in a in a, in a planable way that's right. what the business of government really is it's to set that framework for private entities to milk the system that's exactly the business of government and if you what what amazes me is that still now i hear particularly through calling all these people expressing various levels of frustration about about politics and about the way the world is and kind of like the, the, the democracy, the thing they should be able to get out of their democracy. And it's like they, they get themselves wound up talking in those terms, right? Because what they're doing, as I see it, is actually instigating their own cognitive dissonance, right? They are on the one hand trying to maintain and cling to this idea that the democracy that the fantastical democracy exists somewhere, somehow, it's still there. But they're also living in a system which totally proves otherwise, which 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 they get nothing that they want. And no matter what they do with their vote, nothing that serves them materialises. To have those two juxt things juxtaposed against each other in your face, in your head, is cognitive dissonance, two opposing ideas that you basically are tolerating, right? Which right. which cancel each other out. And and, and, and this is why um, I think that I don't feel like this is because I look at what policy is, I look at who it serves, and then I, if I can be asked, I'll try and look at roughly who's voted for it sometimes. And, and that tells you that it's business of government serving business interests largely in simple sticks in and once you see it like that everything that happens makes complete sense you can predict it you can know what's going to happen know which way which where where a policy is going to come from what it's going to do who it's going to serve and where the money's going to flow and that once you start thinking like that you understand government and then you could even trade on it <laughs> it's not hard but you have to be shown and you have to decide it to, to look at it like that and then pressure test it over time and then it, and it makes sense but loads of people want to live with the fantasy because and i i think that this is because if you are no one right and you actually end up waking up going you know what i'm fucking no one i have no power i am literally have only my labor and actually i'm a bit i'm I, i've I've not actually worked as hard as i could have done so i'm actually a disappointment to myself and i'm either gonna have to work harder or i'm gonna have <laughs> right. to accept accept my place in this shithole world right you actually become really upset right you, you will become upset with that but i think that that's liberating once you accept the world as it is and see the system for what it is you can then realistically navigate the system you're actually in if you believe that the maze is something completely different you just keep hitting walls don't you 
because yeah, you're not absolutely. actually looking at what the maze is. Anyway, absolutely. look, I've, I've gone on for too long. No, you, you are, always always welcome, Gator. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Cheers, dude. Take it easy. Absolutely. Cheers. Absolutely. Cheers. Cheers. I'm gonna get you into saying cheers. I like cheers. I like that. I, you know, you know, I'll, you know, where else they they say cheers because um, it has that British, uh, you know, background. The British uh, genealogy there is uh, Canada. They say cheers there in Toronto. They they don't say it much in in French Canada. They don't say cheers in Montreal, but in Toronto they say cheers all the time. Cheers, cheers. I thought I thought I was in Europe. I thought I was in uh, London. Anyway, okay. Uh, Bill, you're on. <laughs> Let's be heard. How you doing? Hey, Mike. Can you hear me? Okay. Yep. All right. And recall, wasn't it uh, Senator Senate Minority Leader Charles Schumer who said Tuesday that if President Trump, Donald Trump, remember when he made this comment, you're being really dumb by taking out the intelligence community and its assessments on Russia, right? Yeah, so, right. Yeah. Six ways a Sunday to screw you, right? Yeah, right? yeah. absolutely. So absolutely. I think, obviously, you know who else made a comment like this? Jesse Ventura once, I heard him describing what he thought happened to Bernie Sanders. And he said, well... I think he was given some options, and then at some point they said to him, "Remember the Subruder tapes?" You know, <laughs> I don't, it was Jesse was. Jesse's a funny guy. Joking. I like Jesse. I like Jesse, but someone was, was someone like Bernie. It's a different story because would all AOC is like a young politician, right? Just getting in, so you can like you can basically give her things, right? Say, "I'll oh, we'll give you this, right. give you that." But what what do you give Bernie Sanders? Right, he doesn't need money. He gets elected easily. You know, I mean, he's been on all these committees, you know, he's very high profile. So with Bernie, I would absolutely believe threats much more than with AOC. Yeah. I don't think they would. Have, and Bernie, of course, is running for president, which is much more threatening to them than right. one congressperson. You know, so I, I, I do believe that kind of stuff. You know, I do sure. believe that kind of stuff. But it couldn't have been. Let's put it this way. This is why that conspiracy theory kind of goes downhill, uh-huh. because if that was the case in 2016, why would he have run again in 2020? Right. Why would he have? Got, why would he have done, and why would he have been thinking about doing it again? You know, well, so I, I don't know if the threats were anything violent or anything towards his family, but I think it was just the usual. I think Bernie just, I think Bernie just reflexively, and it's hard to change when you're 80 years old. I think just reflexively goes with the Democratic Party in the end, no matter what. That's it. Well, there's another consideration. I mean, I, I can't say, but you pr- probably heard of Confessions of an Economic Hitman, John Perkins, and he did a. a couple of videos and books. One is the second one says, well, this is what, not only is this the way we, we deal with foreign countries, that's how we deal with our own politics. And what it comes down to is, as you said earlier with the uh, uh, Gator, you know, at first it's like the mob the, here, you do this and these good things are going to happen. You're going to have this, you're going to have that, you know, the riches of this world, whatever women, whatever it is. But if you don't, you know, things could start going this way and not such good things may happen. Do you see what I mean? And that's, you know, I, I, I don't think that's far-fetched. And the other option is, it may, and let's get, we can only speculate, right? We'll never know because they won't be able to come out and tell us because if, if they were to spill the beans of people who have been threatened, they'd disappear. Do you follow me? So they're the double bind. Yeah, I you know? of course. Yeah, right, right. So maybe someone like Bernie, I'm just going out on a limb and saying, well, okay, now you're under our thumb. Now you're going to run again, but this time it's, it's, it's 
the agenda is for you to sheep herd people back to, you know, Joe Biden. The sheep herding is a big part of it. But I mean, if you look at, mm-hmm. I look at Bernie, look, if I look at Bernie after the last three years, mm-hmm. the way he stuck out to big pharma, I, I'm not surprised anymore. I mean, Bernie's not, a, he's a phony. You know, I mean, that's, you know, when, when really, when, when that's your big, when you're, when you're going after big pharma for six years running for president. Right. When nine, that's 90% of what you talk about, health insurance companies and big pharma. And then you just suck up to them over the last three years. You never even once doubt anything they've done. You never once come out and even say, well, maybe three shots is enough. Maybe four, five or six is just making, it's just profits now. I mean, not even to say that. Shows what a phony he is, and what, oh, what I a, see what you're how, yeah, how he how he easily folds. You know what I'm saying? Could it be, so, you know. I'm going to ask you something, right? Even Jesse surprised me uh, because he did a piece in 2009 with um, Major General Stubblebine's wife, uh, Rima Lebo, um, where she pretty much predicted not exactly, but a lot of what we saw in the COVID agenda in 2009. I don't know if you remember that when, when, um, when Jesse had his show conspiracy theories, remember? Right. right. Well, there's a 2009 episode you, you can find and I'll, I'll look for it if, you know, and try and throw it in the chat or DM it to you where, yes, yeah, she pretty much lays this out. And, uh, she was a naturopathic doctor who, because of course, major general Stubblebine being who he is, she, she was entrusted to treat people who wanted to use naturopathic means and high levels of government around the world. You see what I mean? Right. And uh, she'd come out and said, this is, I mean, I don't want to put, I, I, better to, I was putting in the live chat where people listened to her tell the story. You know what I mean? And Jesse interviewing her. But the bottom line is she did kind of lay out a lot of what we end up seeing in, uh, in the COVID era. And um, surprisingly, Jesse, rather than bring that up again, before he was kicked off RT, before RT was collapsed, RT America, remember he had his show there? Right. He went totally against that, saying to people, you know, basically get the shot. It's like, what what happened to this guy? You know, how do you go from one extreme to the other? And I don't have an answer to that. Part of what I think it is, is fear. Like, you know, we saw what was going on in Italy, right? And we had to see people on ventilators, remember, early on, and prone on ventilators and right. people dying, supposing, in senior care facilities and being abandoned even. Yeah, yeah. And I think that really frightened people who were most susceptible, which were the elderly. You see what I mean? Well, and yeah, so- that's why, I mean, everyone I, almost everyone I know who's 70 plus has gotten every single booster. Every single one, yeah. and they'll and they'll continue to. I, I I guarantee you, everybody I know who's of that age would get a would get a would get a booster whenever the government puts a new one out. Yeah, and what drives and motivates them to do that is fear, right? Fear that they don't they're going to prone on a ventilator. That's a horrifying. But I don't understand why? Well, okay, look, I'm not that age, but mm-hmm. if I'm not fearful at fifty, right? If I'm not fearful at fifty. And I supposedly, if you look at the average age of death, I have three de- more decades to live. Why would I be fearful at 80 after I've had a nice long life? Why Why would I want to start being fearful in my last years? Why would I want to spend my last years? And at that age, at 80, it could be any, you know, it could be a day, it could be a week, or it could be 10 years or 15 years. But why would I want to live those last golden years being afraid? 
I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't wrap my mind around it. But again, I'm not 80. Maybe if I was 80, I'd, I'd be afraid. I don't know. I yeah, I think, uh, well, the, that's what I always question too. Think about this. The people are 80, right? They were the Woodstock era, right? Well, that's not... real, we, you know, we talk about that all the time. Like these, like these, all these big rebels in the Woodstock era, like what's his name? Neil Young and how yeah. all of a sudden now they're and Joni Mitchell and how all of a sudden they're mm -hmm. like, so they're so Mr. They're so pro the man, right? So pro establishment, you know, that's so it's, yeah, you you know, do, do as the man says when, when they were in the sixties, they were like, you know, fight the man on everything they say and everything he says, you know, it's, it's it, yeah. It's like, what happened to them? Well, especially because, of course, a lot of them are using drugs and, of course, marijuana being one of them. They all know them. I'm sure the medicinal, the medicinal qualities of marijuana, which are many, one of which is boost the immune system and increase your natural killer cells. And, you know, certain CBD oils, you don't have to get take, you know, get high that type. You can use different type of oils and. Then there's Lorenzo's oil came out, which is not based on CBD, but I think it's alpha-lipoic acid. It may, it's been decades since I saw that movie, but where the parents saw another means when the son was dying of a, some type of rare yeah. liver disorder. He didn't have the enzymes to digest the fats, remember? Right. So they, Lorenzo's oil is all based on the parents, you know, seeking, 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 you know, and, and I think it's, I'd have to look it up. I think it's alpha-lipoic acid. Anyway, and so then you have the the uh, the parents who kept seeking, seeking for their children who had epilepsy, remember? And they come yep. up with yep. CBD yep. oil. And so yep. clearly, like someone like me, just not, well, for example, I have multiple comorbidities because of pituitary endocrine disease. I had the tumor that killed my uncle. Mine's in remission, but it left me with multiple comorbidities. I'm over 62. I'm 62, over mm -hmm. 60. I'm morbidly obese because of the disease. I have extremely severe sleep apnea because of the disease. Part of this in my 50s, I was still at the condition I was in when I played ball. You know what I mean? It's just this disease kicked in. It's genetic, apparently. So point I'm trying to make is that, but I am steeped in, well, you hear my, my belief in using herbs and um, minerals and um, let's call it nutraceuticals catchphrase. Do you follow me? And so I, I'm like, listen, I'm going to go this route. And if it doesn't work, the other thing is I believe in an afterlife. So to me, maybe part of this is like, I'm going to look when it's my time to go. I'm going to be, if I'm in that tunnel of light and the Lord says you have a choice, I'm going to say, I ain't turning back. You know what I mean? Unless you get some major mission for All me. Right, Bill, Bill, give me the evidence of an, give me the evidence of an afterlife. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to get into that now. I'm just kidding. We'll do a show. We'll do a show down. Well, I tell you, once the speaker thing is settled, we'll do, we'll do a show on that. But, but, uh, I think you're right. I think you made a point though, when it comes to the elderly people with COVID, there was so, there was such a big psych ops done on them, right? Yes. They were told over and over again, if you're this age, you're in danger, 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 mm -hmm. nursing homes, nursing homes, 80, 80, 80, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it was so, it was so smashed into their heads mm -hmm. that they were overwhelmed by this. I, I think that's probably the reason. I don't think yeah. without that, I don't think the, that age group would be that afraid of it. But I think with, because I don't think that age group, they always got their flu shots, but I don't think they were always thinking on a daily basis of dying of the flu. I just think this was so, it was just a big psychological operation done on them that, uh, that was tough. It was tough for them to overcome that.
Yeah, and they had the imagery. Like I said, remember the imagery of the all the bodies lined up in a row in the hospital prone because that's how they put them on the ventilators with the tubes. You know what I mean? And and then you're sedated. You see what I'm saying? They're not on their back. They they got them on their chest. You just hear what I mean? Laying out that way with the tubes. I mean, it looks like something from a sci-fi movie. You know, like some freaky. And so the the the, yeah, I think it's all fear. You know, and uh, that's how they control us. And let's, I know, I know you got um, other things you want to say, but one last thing, the tabletop exercise that John Hopkins University, the World Health Organization has for 2025 is Sears. Pick up the first two words, severe epidemic and terror virus respiratory syndrome. They even got it right in the title, severe epidemic. You see what I mean? It's like, ah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know. Once again, I can't when I think of logically why someone 80, 85 would be worried about this at that point in their life. I can't. But when I look at how when I when I think back and they're still doing it, obviously, they're still doing it. Right. Even when a new booster comes out, if you're that age, it's the most important. You know, you, it's the most important age for this, the most important age, you know, so they're still doing it. This, yeah. and, and, and Big Pharma knew that Big Pharma said we got to go after that age group. They're going to be the biggest uh-huh. money maker for us. You know, they're going to be the well, biggest money maker for us. The last component of that was, and if you, you don't get your shot, oh, then yeah, I know. you're going to kill the, part, one of the greatest generation that fought in the last war. You are oh, going right. to take down. Right, 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 right. Well, the ultimate, yeah, young people, young people thinking, thing to do. Yeah, young people thinking they were going to kill their grandparents with their breath. Right. And their grandparents being afraid that their young people were going to kill mm-hmm. them. And that, that combination kept families away from each other for two years. Still, some families won't get together. You know, so. I, I lost a good friend, a former mayor of, uh, well, I won't say what city and town because I, I keep him private, confidential, but he was a good friend of mine. And he's elderly. Well, he's older than me. Let's put it by 15 years or so. And I, w- I used to call him up and bullshit all the time, call him Batman. He, and he called me Fat Man, go, you know, goofing around. Boy, I'll tell you what, he, he, last time I talked to him, he ripped into me. He goes, I got a real problem with you. And I'm like, what? He says, you're, you're not get vaccinated. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, wait, you don't understand. He wouldn't even let me talk to him about the real. I started saying that vaccine does not stop transmission. You know, you know, and he was so angry. Yeah, because they were overwhelmed by the propaganda. They were overwhelmed. And yeah, by I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't even begin to explain anything to him. Anything I said just pissed him off some more. And that was a Bill, Bill, I'll, I'm going to get to Marie in a second. But, Bill, I just want to tell you, yeah. I mean, I, I experienced the same kind of thing. Except, yeah. uh, you know, I had to stop. I had to stop talking to mm. people. I have a friend in, who, I, who I speak to a lot. And during we were talking a lot, like in the beginning, you know, COVID and all that. We were talking every night, March, April, May. And I was just yelling at, at, at him. I was yelling. I was just screaming at him, you know, trying to get through to him about, you know, how it's all propaganda and. I was just, you know, I find myself like really yelling and I'm like, I have to stop. I have to stop talking to anyone who who believes the propaganda because I'm just yeah. I'm, I'm going to end up losing friends and just getting angry and all this nonsense over this stuff. And so, you know, I, 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 I pretty much after a short period of time stopped, you know, and now once you got to one year out, two years out, three years out, if people don't want to get it now, there's no reason to argue with them. There's no reason. Yeah, to that's true. It's silly. My position, my it's position silly. wasn't. Yeah, and I talked about this. He goes, well, then you're just losing friends. And I, and I always thought to myself, well, you know what? I'd rather at least keep trying. Well, uh, my brother doesn't talk to me anymore, for example. Other friends. 
because Incredible. yeah, and and he's CEO of a big company in California, my brother. And I'm like, look, you got all kinds of people under you, Rick. Oh, you know, right. I didn't give the name of the company. Okay, so anyway, so I'm like, you know, think about this. And it, he grew up in the same house as me, where I told you my dad used to sell for J.B. Serrell when we were very young and got out of it. And did I tell you the story real quick? My father said to me, he said, when I, he opened a bicycle shop when I was 10 years old called Spoken Wheel on East Main, which got foreclosed on during the pandemic. Okay. Go figure. Because Chris, the fellow who worked for us for years. And after, after, all that, after all that time, he's been there for that long? 50, 50 odd years. Oh, yep. geez. Incredible. The only bicycle Incredible. shop left in Bridgeport, Spoken Wheel on Upper East Main Street. Uh, service the community all those years. Place you can go and get your bike fixed if you went to some of the neighboring affluent, like Fairfield. They wouldn't even touch it. These, like, regular bikes you know they'd send right. them to us they didn't want to stock the parts or you went to some other high-end shops or like want to sell a new product you know because that's where they make the money right i mean so so we were servicing so what happened was chris got behind i'm diverging to the bike shop real quick because the real story this was the estate held the note my father sold it to him the estate held the note my father died so the estate held the note right. so chris was i was inheritor so he was paying me 889 a month and he got behind on his taxes the last couple of years. And um, Mike, the building was appraised at two and a quarter just before the pandemic, two years before the pandemic. Do you know they foreclosed on it for 51400 the city? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's a, for that's back a, taxes that's and a, utilities. That's a, that's a travesty. That's an actual that's an They stole the equity. And think and about this. So that's one story you're telling me. Think about how many millions of people have the same kinds of stories. You know, yeah, I, mean, well, and we, I wish we could reach them all and have them all come on and talk about this because this needs to be talked about more. The the, the victims of what's happened over the last three yeah, years. Yeah, and it gets worse. Yeah, it gets worse. Okay, so they stole the equity, which of course they went what he was paying me eight and nine a month, right? Because I, I was the inheritor who was paying the money to. Right. They went so that trickled down, right? Of course. So now there's no way to get caught up during the pandemic because first of all there were supply chain issues. Yeah, it happened during the summer and he had trouble getting product. He was actually going to like Walmart to see if he can get tubes so he can fix people's bikes. You know what I mean? He had trouble getting product. So right. anyway, then he didn't have the, he no longer had the credit with the distributors. It's a downward spiral. You know what I mean? To buy in bulk what he could right. possibly. It's a, it's a domino effect. The whole thing is a yeah. domino effect. Yeah, right. Yeah. So now he loses the equity. Now, now his parents lived at Wesley Heights at a senior complex, like a campus, right? And had comorbidities and elderly. Mm -hmm. And so Chris is like, he, we used to talk all the time. He's like, obviously I grew up with him. He was 10 years younger than me, but you know, I was like his older brother, mm -hmm. you know? And so, and he says to me, Bill, I'm thinking of getting the shots. And Chris was like you and me and not liking to get that himself. Right. Right. But he said, but if I give my parents this thing, I'll never be able to live with myself and they won't take the alternative herbs and supplements and stuff that's not they're you know they're going to the regular doctor so okay chris so the coercion you know what really we need to figure out and i think there's no way to figure this out but let's let's talk about this for one second is how many people how many people do you think because we're hearing this story about you know him being coerced take a shot the different reasons people why they felt they had to right how many people do you think took that vaccine because they really 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 wanted to I'm going to guess it's a, it's a small minority of people, I'm going to guess. 
a small minority of people who really just really had they weren't forced at all they willingly like a dra- like they they weren't they'd have to be drafted they volunteered for the war i think it's very few people yeah i don't know i think we i think it'd be easier to try and decipher from talking to people who got the shot cuz they were forced well felt coerced for various reasons he wanted to yeah. obviously be able to see his parents uh, and for those who needed to keep their jobs and you know obviously but listen to what happened now he had no major comorbidities right and he used to call me we talk a couple times a week and visit here once a week or every two weeks just to say hi and so um and it was nice because i'm housebound i can't get out anymore my hips are so bad i don't drive so you know it's good to see an old friend right and so anyway so he gets his second booster and he was telling me, you know, when he was due, he went, got his first one. He said, I'm okay. I'm like, okay, glad to hear it. And then he was going to get a second one. And then I didn't hear from him, Mike. And yeah. I'm calling him periodically, like throughout the week, and I'm not hearing anything. I get an email from my brother. No, no. He sends me the obituary. Oh, that's terrible. That's a terrible story, Bill. Let me tell you, this is this, the people need to hear this because this is what's happened to people. He, he, I, I talked to his mom. I said, what happened? You know, would you mind talking? And I, I got along great with her. And she, of course, I'm going to leave names out of it now. And so and so she says, oh, oh I said, um, I can use a first name. I said, Ann, you know, can you tell me what happened? And she goes, oh, yeah. Um, he, he, Chris, got out of his car at the 7-Eleven. And the doc said he was dead before he hit the ground because he never put his hands out. Massive coronary. So, and, this, and this guy, this guy was perfectly healthy, as far as you know. Yeah, he was down to his high school weight. He, um, a couple years prior, he had had a gastric bypass, so he got down to his high school weight. And he used to ride his bike, and he had no comorbidities. You know, he had already had. He was a little big at one point. Decided to have the gastric bypass. His wife had it. She lost eighty pounds. Yeah. And Bill, then, I, Bill, this is, I'm going to get I, I have to let you go because I want to get yeah. to Maria. But sorry I let you go on such a horrible note. We'll talk. call back again tomorrow. Maybe something more more uplifting. It's a terrible story. But I, thanks, Bill. I do appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Story. Okay, Mike. Yeah. Talk to you later. And, and, it's, and, the, and the story Bill tells is not – it's probably – I'm sure it's all too common. I'm going to get to Maria. and You're next, Maria. Then we'll get to Daniel. But just picking up on what Bill just said. Uh, Tucker Carlson had a had a, a, a segment with Peter McCullough. Listen to this now. Before the mRNA vaccine, there were 29 cardiac arrests per year in sports. After the vax, 1,500 in one year, and two-thirds of those resulted in death. Again, before the mRNA vaccine, there were 29 cardiac arrests per year in sports. And that's – you know that. It was very uncommon. And when they say in sports – they're talking about across the board. There weren't 29 cardiac arrests in, in pro sports, but everything across the board, the pros, the, you know, the, the, the minor leagues, the little leagues, the, all that stuff, just in, in, in sports in general. After the vaccine, 1,500 in one year and two-thirds of those people died. But we can't talk about this, right? Well, we can talk about it here. But this is just a case in point. And after I talk to Marie and Daniel, I'm going to read a little article from the San Francisco Standard, believe it or not, the San Francisco Standard, about doctors. And I knew this to be the case, and you guys knew this to be the case, but fake doctors on Twitter, people pretending to be doctors, pushing masking and COVID lockdown. And it turns out, a little bit of research, 
those people were not only not doctors, they, they didn't exist at all. And we'll talk about that. And this is like people who were going on. And I, I knew it was just having a little bit of uncommon sense. You knew it was bullshit when you see someone on whether they were doctor or not. But often you see people pretending to be doctors. And I'll read the article. It's interesting. Or at least part of it is a long article. You can get it on the sta- sfstandard.com. Titled, These Doctors Push Masking COVID Lockdowns on Twitter. Turns out they don't exist. Where a doctor would come on and go, oh, I saw, you know, 35 people died in my, you know, under my care today. All of them on ventilators. Or you would see someone say, oh, I know 35, you know, I know 50 people who died of COVID over the last month. And you say, come on. The, <laughs> the odds, as we know now, the mortality rate of like, you know, 0.000 whatever. It was impossible for one person to know that many people. You knew they were making it up. You knew they were just fucking making it up just to push their narrative. But that collective fake phony shit narrative caused so many policy decisions and so many things to happen that affected millions. These were not little white lies. They were lies that led to policies that killed more people than any virus ever, ever, ever could. That's the problem. And I'll get to that article shortly, but... I do want to go to Maria. Maria, you're on and let's be heard. How are you tonight? I'm all right, Mike. How are you? All right. Hanging in there. Trying. Trying. Well, I just wanted to say a couple of things. Uh, and this isn't judgment or taking a position. It's just speaking to my experience. I spent a lot of a lot of time working on clinical trial teams and you know have have you ever heard of an iron coffin death no an iron coffin death uh yeah yeah it's more of a middle-aged term uh, uh now that you say middle-aged i i may have i may have you know seen it in a movie or something at some point but i don't know that much about it Right, right. Well, it it comes from past centuries where uh, things called prions that don't have DNA, they only have RNA. Uh, things like uh, mad cow disease. Okay. Or, you know, but things that are RNA based are really tricky and awful and hard to contain. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So they would bury people with those diseases in an iron coffin to contain the contagion. I see. Because they, they, they thought that people could be, people could spread it even if they were dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. I mean, that's the first thing people do learn about in medical school in the first year in the gross anatomy lab you you can pick up all kinds of diseases from a cadaver uh they have to get vaccinated against all kinds of things right Right. but uh i'm just saying that from my perspective i I thought the RNA approach was really novel and exciting for this virus, and it's probably going to innovate a lot of disease approaches to come. 
I, I don't have a political feel about it one way or the other, but I had no issue with getting it because I was so excited about an RNA-based vaccination. Because mm-hmm. that's that's might have been, might have been how, more exciting. Might have been more exciting if it was tested a little bit longer. Well, it, especially for the infection rate and contagion rate. Yeah. Well, I, it just it wasn't tested long enough. I mean, that, that was. I mean, we all. I'm, I'm glad to hear someone got it because they wanted to, but. Um, I, I think that, and once again, this is all personal decisions. As long as you're not forced or mandated to get it, you're allowed to do what you want with your body. But uh, my feeling was it wasn't tested long enough. I didn't like, when, when, when Trump said, up, and this is not against Trump, once again, if, if Trump were the president during a, a, a if Trump were the president and, the, and this vaccine had been tested for five, eight years, I might have had a different feel about it. It wasn't Trump's thing. It was just the, it was just the idea of calling a vaccine that was new and experimental Operation Warp Speed. That kind of turned me off a little bit to putting it in my body. Like I said, I, I don't mind Operation Warp Speed when I go to a diner and I'm hungry. I want my burger warp speeded. That's fine. But as far as a vaccine, an untested vaccine for a new virus, I, I wasn't too thrilled with the idea of getting it. And, of course, I did the, the, the intelligent cost-benefit analysis of being healthy and in my 40s. And, eh, do I really? Nah, I don't really need it. You know, so that, that was my decision. But we all have our own personal decisions, right? And that's the whole point here. I'm not going to attack you. I, I, you know, you know. I, I don't believe in this vaccine. I think it's poison. I wish you hadn't gotten it. But I'm not going to attack you for getting it. You, you, you had your reasons. You thought it out. You had an. You, you're talking about it now. How you thought it out. The problem with me is the problem I have is that they force people to get it. That it was mandated. Well, so that, I, that's the problem. Yeah. That's that's completely understandable. I right. I don't think it should be forced on anyone. I. But, you know, fast forward a little bit, you know, I'm a slender individual with healthy cholesterol, but I had a stress-induced heart attack in July, and I'm 44, and otherwise completely healthy, but it was stress-induced. So fast forward a... to November, I, I got a COVID booster, and five days later, I, I was, and I know where I got it. It had nothing to do with the booster shot, but, uh, you know, I got sick. I got really sick. What, so was I, what did you have? What was it? It was COVID. Oh, it was COVID. Okay, so it was confirmed as COVID. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the first week was fever and extreme fatigue the second week i was a snotty cough monster (laughs) and the third day it was you know i might have a good day or two in a row and i'd wake up the next morning it's like oh honey no we're not done with you yet so it's a kind of a hit and miss thing, right? I mean, there are plenty of people who who have not gotten the vaccine, who have never gotten COVID. I, I think I might have had something for a week. It could have been COVID. It could have been the flu, but it was very mild last winter. Um, there are people who have not gotten the vaccine, who have not gotten COVID, or people who have gotten the vaccine and gotten COVID has gone been gone in two days. You know, so it's like the idea, the thing is, there's no there's no real. Uh, data saying that the vaccine lessens. In fact, plenty of people who are getting the vaccine now are getting it 
more than people who don't have it. People are dying from it who have the vaccine. So there's no real data. There's no real proof to say that the, the vaccine. We do have proof that the vaccine does not stop the spread. That we know, as you just proved. But there's no real proof that the vaccine has prevented people from getting bad COVID or prevented people from dying from COVID. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no data out there that shows that. Because And if the, if the data showed that, they would show us the data. These people who love the vaccine would be showing us this data on a daily basis, but they don't show it because they know it doesn't exist and they can't push their narrative. Maria, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. As always, thank you for the call. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, of course. Of course. Okay. Hey, it's Big Daniel. Daniel, the question for Daniel always is, are you outside walking or inside? Oh, it's after midnight. I'm inside. <laughs> okay. That's not always the case. It's not always the case. Well, midnight, yeah, I know. Okay. Sometimes I, I, I miss I miss time. Um, uh, yeah, two, two quick things and then the main thing I wanted to call about. Um, first of all, you know, I, I really hate doing this. I really hate being the medical cop. But um, <laughs> I should I should have a song for you. That's do with that? being. I should have an intro for you that has to do with being a medical cop. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Who are you going to call? Um, <laughs> yeah, but go. yeah, bad boys, bad boys. Um, there you go. Um, but uh, ALD uh, learns as oil doesn't change the course of ALD in uh, children or adults. Um, wanted to put um, to, to clear that up. And um, plans plans aren't RNA; they're proteins, and they're misfolded proteins. Um, prote- they're misfolded types of proteins that naturally occur in uh, cell membranes. And, um, and they get in and they screw up um, lots of stuff by interacting with normal proteins and causing them to misfold. Um, so they're not RNA. So I just wanted to clear those two yeah, things. Yeah, I like that we have someone who's a scientist times two who can clear this stuff up. That's yeah. good. Right. And, um, and, and then I want to get to my main point, which is totally unsciencey. I hear this frequently and, and, and you echoed it. And it's like, and you said something about... Um, um, you know, some of the, the rockers and other people that are children of the um, mid-60s that were rebels and now they have grown up to be conformists and, they, and everyone, you know, scratching their head how to, how to explain this. I think they're missing the common thread that um, they, they weren't rebels in the sense of, of the, the, the more common um, interpretation of rebellion. Um, they were rebels in the, in the sense of narcissism. And that narcissism in their early age is there as narcissism in their older age. And so they're as neurotic now as they were neurotic then. That's a very good point. I, you know, I've never thought about it that way. I've never really thought about it. These were not really, these were not real rebels, that they weren't real rebels at all. You're right. That, you know, these, that were, ba- these were narcissistic baby boomers. And, 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 it was, to, and it was a thing to be at the time, right? It was a thing well, to and be. They, 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 had the, they had the power of population. They had the power of demographic size. And, and that is why they got so much attention. And, um, and that's why they were able to cause so much upheaval in society in general. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 it's about and, – and, and this was pointed out way back then, the narcissistic component to many of the um, movements um, in the 60s. It's, 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 yeah, that's the common tie. It's, it's narcissism. It's, that's the thread that, that's woven through all of their lives through all these years. A lot of cool things happened in the 60s, 
but a lot of really fucked up shit happened in the 60s that is born always or that narcissism always gives birth to and yeah we're we're, we're saying it again um and that's that's all i wanted to say tonight and so unless you got any questions for the uh medicine cop i am signing off uh, you know i am going to come up with a song to intro you you might not like it but i'll think about <laughs> it i'm going i'm just going to i'm going yeah i'll let you go cuz i'm going to quickly read this article about the fake doctors on on twitter yeah, yeah. Um, I, I have a, I have a suspicion that um, that most of the of the uh, people with MDs after their their, their Twitter profile names um, that gain the most attention. Um, I, I have a strong suspicion that um, most of them are just are just fake. Well, we that, should make you know, the point that, that, that Michael Schellenberg they, Michael... they followed these four down, yeah. and four out of four were fake. Yeah, Michael Schellenberger has MD, but he's made it clear that does not mean medical doctor. You, what does that mean again? The MD. Maryland. Right, Maryland. But he, he, he has said a million times. He clears that up all the time. He says it does not mean medical doctor. It does not mean – but I always get fooled by it. Maybe he wants you to be fooled by it a little wait, bit, right? Wait, would he put an MD after his name? Yeah. Oh, it's always been that way. His, why does, Twitter, why, his why is he doing that? always been Michael Schellenberger MD. Is it Maryland or are you just making that up? I have no idea why he would do this, but no, oh, Maryland oh, is the, the Maryland the, is the abbreviation for, for MD he, is the abbreviation for Maryland. But why, but he, but he why anyone here. would put that in their in their profile name? I have no idea. But he lives in San Francisco. Yeah, well, so I don't, yeah. I don't okay. get it. But there is the does it? But it, it's a legitimate thing. It's like Maryland. It's a legitimate. It might not be Maryland, but it's a legitimate thing. And he always says that MD does not mean. He said it like five times on TV. That it, so why not just take the fucking thing off, right? <laughs> I I, can't, I I have no idea what MD as a title could mean besides medical doctor. I have no idea, and and yeah, he should have taken that off long ago. Uh, if, that, if, if that is indeed there, it is. Was this Michael Schellenberger? Yeah. Well, no. Here's the thing. Yo, it says yeah, it's Michael Schellenberger, and then at Schellenberger MD. Oh, here, oh, 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 oh. Okay, here we go. In his in his now in his profile, if you read it. It says MD equals my initials, not a doc. Oh, those are, those are his initials. Okay, oh, maybe, he, maybe D is a middle name. Maybe D yeah, is a, he, he yeah. Should, he should still he should still remove that because it's it's obviously it's causing people some confusion. But but you know that, yeah. but you know that, that's it's not a huge point. Most most of these, um, I mean, you can, you can point to, and they all seem to have these telling names. That like there's this one uh, big mouth out there, Doctor Lucky Tran. Does anyone believe? Does, yeah. Does lucky anyone believe Doctor Lucky Tran is a real? Lucky Tran. Yeah. profile, and and he claims to be a a, a physician um, somewhere. I, I, I can't remember I, I, where, and he claims to have a a sub a subspecialty, and I can't remember what it was. But he, you know, but does anyone actually believe that he that Lucky Tran is actual? I mean, there's there's a bazillion of these, and and this is why, this is why I keep saying that. Um, uh, anonymity on the internet has to end. Um, I, I'm I'm semi uh, anonymous, and I would be very happy for all of us to just dump that, and we should all have verified passcodes to get on the internet. That that and and when we yeah, get on the internet, unfortunately, though, Fingle Dingle Dingle Fingle is a real doctor, I think, isn't he? Eric Fingle Dingle. Oh, you, well, yeah, he 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 was a congressman. Yeah, <laughs> Eric Fingle Dingle was a real doc. No, uh, Murphy says the, the the D in MD stands for delicious. It does not stand for delicious. His middle name <laughs> is not delicious. I'm going to put MD after my name and say it equals Mother Ducker. 
Mother Ducker. <laughs> Mother Ducker. That's what I have. Oh my God. It's too, this is too funny. Lucky Tran is the funny, is, is hilarious. Lucky Tran. Yeah. Lucky, yeah, lucky, yeah. lucky Tran. How about Lucky Trans? Yeah, lucky one, trans. One, one of those four uh, um, fake uh, MD uh, profiles uh, in Twitter that you mentioned had a last name or a first name or something that had the word that had the uh, um, syllable tran in it as well yeah exactly right yeah i can't remember what can't, can't remember which which one it was but um oh. yeah th- th- those are tip-offs that, that well, yeah, you know what's funny about schellenberger i like the guy i'm not i don't want to really make fun of him too much i don't think he's really trying to be deceitful and he's actually smarter than most medical doctors so whatever but but it's like when you come up with a twitter uh you know at whatever Okay, at Jim Smith, you figure there are 90 Jim Smiths, so you have to add something. How many Michael Schellenbergers are there? He didn't have to put MD. <laughs> it's not like, it's like, it's like Twitter said, oh, we have 30 of those already. You have to put something after it. He could have just exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I could put my, my first initial and my last name down. There's only two people in the world that could possibly refer to. <laughs> yeah, my father's not on Twitter with the same name. So I have Mike Cachopoli. Cachopoli Mike, there's, you know. There's only one. I didn't have to put MD or anything after it. Uh, Dan- Daniel, thanks for the call. So yeah. Fun. All right. Oh, my God. That's just too much. Too funny. Funny stuff. Okay. All right. This was written in the San... I was shocked. Maybe I should read the SF Standard. Maybe, you know, I have this thing against my own city. Whenever San Francisco, I see San Francisco, I just go to the next thing. But this is called the San Francisco Standard, sfstandard.com. And this was written a couple of weeks ago by uh, Matt Kupfer. And uh, the title is These Doctors Push Masking and COVID Lockdowns on Twitter, but it turns out they don't exist. Last month, Dr. Robert, speaking of funny names, Honeyman, Honeyman, lost their sister to COVID. They wrote about it on Twitter and received dozens of condolences, over 4,000 retweets and 43,000 likes. Exactly one month later, on December 12th, Honeyman wrote that another tragedy had befallen their family. What a Unlucky guy, Honeyman is. Sad to announce that my husband has entered a coma after being in hospital with COVID. The doctor is unsure if he will come out, they tweeted. This year has been the toughest of my life, losing my sister to this virus. This is the first time in my life I don't see light at the end of the tunnel. But there was a problem. Honeyman wasn't real. Uh, The transgender doctor of sociology and feminist studies with a keen interest in poetry... (laughs) Who used they them pronouns? I mean, wouldn't this tell you right away? It was it was. You almost think this is a gag, right? Was in fact a stock photo described on Deposit Photos, a royalty-free image site, as and this was the this was the this was the heading under the photo: smiling, happy, handsome Latino man outside. <laughs> Their supposedly comatose husband, Dr. Patrick Honeyman, was also fake. His Twitter photo had been stolen from another website, an insurance professional in Wayne, Indiana. The two fake doctors whose accounts urged extreme caution about COVID-19 were part of a network of at least four fake accounts that touted their lies, uh, that touted their ties to the LGBTQ plus, let me take a breath, community vocally advocated for mask wearing and social distancing and dished out criticism to those that felt We're not taking the pandemic seriously. So these were the kind of accounts that were like, if you said something that was anti-branch COVIDian, or if you may have said, you know, this sounds weird, man. I mean, you know, you personally know all these people who died. They'd say, you see, you don't care. You don't care. You're selfish. 
The honey man could not be reached for comment. The honey mans could not be reached for comment as they do not exist. At publication time, Robert Honeyman's account was no longer active. The fake doctors were uncovered by Joshua Gutterman Trainin, a self-described gay writer pursuing a master's of fine arts at Bangton College. He saw Robert Honeyman's tweet about their husband being in a coma, noticed people he followed also followed them, and thought they might be part of the LGBT plus academic community. But after 10 minutes of Googling, Gutterman Trainin concluded that Robert Honeyman's photo was a stock image and their biography, so it took him 10 minutes to figure this out, that's it. And their biography stretched boundaries of believability. An academic who left no traces on academic websites and had lost two family members to COVID in late 2022, despite masking and distancing. The character looked like liberal mad libs, Gutterman Trannon said. I'm a self-identified leftist, and I understand these people have a lot of different identities, but it felt concocted in the lab about how many identities and horrible experiences can we put on one person, he said. Oh, my God. Throughout the pandemic, Twitter has, pandemic, Twitter has been an important, if complicated, platform. Medical experts have used it to speak directly to the public about COVID and to criticize policies they feel don't do enough to protect people from the disease. But Twitter also has been a site of disinformation and provocative claims that are based in fact or scientific knowledge but, late, but lack context. As the pandemic has dragged on, governments have lifted COVID restrictions and people have shed their masks. More of, the, more of the burden of charting a path in the new normal has fallen on individuals. And public-facing experts like Bob Wachter and Manika Gandhi have become important uh, sources of advice. But as the iconic New York Times cartoon states on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog or a fake doctor, for that matter. The Honeyman offer one of the most blatant examples of this. It's unclear who created the two doctors, but their bios and personas signpost identities meant to appeal to a certain type of Twitter denizen, liberal, pro-diversity, and concerned about COVID, or meant to provoke the opposite of that type of person. Both doctors present themselves as members of the LGBTQ community. Robert displayed the trans and Ukrainian flags in their Twitter name. <laughs> Patrick had a rainbow flag in his profile. <laughs> Robert wrote openly about suffering from MPX. When I first read this article earlier, I said, what the fuck is MPX? Well, that's that's the new version. That's monkeypox. That's the woke, the woke version of monkeypox, MPX. An infectious disease that caused San Francisco to declare a state emergency earlier this year and had largely spread among men who have sex with men. Don't believe what the media has been sharing. It's a horrible disease that had me bedridden. He tweeted in July. They also claim to have been the victim of a transphobic. So these same people, I mean, talk about unlucky. You might as well just do Harry Carey, right? They had, they knew, they knew th their relatives all died of COVID. He, this guy got horrible monkeypox and they were the victim of a transphobic attack. So this is almost like, um, what's his face? Just Juicy Smollett on acid, right? Juicy Smollett on steroids. Another account associated with the group, Dr. Gerald Fisher, displayed rainbow trans and Ukrainian flags and an ally for all in the LGBT community, wear a mask, hashtag wear a mask. Fisher's account has been since taken down. A fourth account, Dr. Steve Ste Ville, who claimed an affiliation with the University of Antwerp, what the fuck that is, describes himself as an LGBTQ plus ally and a proud mask wearer. All four doctors had a few things in common. They had created their accounts during the pandemic. Fisher's account dated to 19, 2019, but his earliest visible tweet was from July of 2022. The doctors also frequently interacted with one another. Fisher's first tweets were, in fact, a retweet. 
a quote tweet in response to Robert Honeyman. Robert Honeyman claimed that Fisher, who said he was suffering from post-COVID brain fog, was the sharpest individual they met at university. The two doctors send greetings to each other's families. All four accounts urged caution about COVID. They also amplified the voices of other Twitter users calling on the public to mask, vaccinate, and socially distance. At times, they criticized policies they felt undermined pandemic safety and individuals who they believed did not take COVID seriously enough. But as Twitter users responded to Guterman Tranen's thread on the Honeymans, they also discovered the accounts expressing views that appeared implausible. Come on, China, stop. With you. Oh, come on, China, stop protesting. I wish we had similar lockdown measures here, Robert Honeyman wrote in a 19, in November 27 tweet. They also claimed to have a, been a consultant who helped to make the character Velma a lesbian in the new Scooby-Doo movie. The standard was unable to, re, to establish who created the four fake doctors, but perhaps the most alarming aspect of their non-existence online is that it was also unclear why they were created. Guterman Trainin wondered about the motivation behind them. Is this someone who's well-intentioned, but perhaps has a lot of anxiety about COVID, and this is a way for them to act out those anxieties? Or is this something more nefarious, where someone thinks creating accounts like this is a way to point at them and say, look how crazy the liberals are? As he watched his initial tweet about the Honeyman's go viral, Guterman Trainin is philosophical about the situation. He believes people are responding so strongly to his discovery because we all know that these kinds of accounts exist, but we seldom delve deeply into whether the person tweeting is actually authentic. We've just accepted that disinformation is an essential part of how Twitter works. But as Twitter users marveled over the four fake doctors, at least one person wasn't having it. Vile. <laughs> Disgusting to see the accusations being thrown my way. It's truly incredible to see how quick good people can switch up on you in the blink of an eye, he tweeted on December 13th. That age-old adage, that age-old saying rings true. The one thing they love more than a hero is to see a hero fail, fall, die trying. Rage on, Dr. Steve. So this is something that, once again, I saw a lot of. And this, this is all from mid to late 2022. So these are probably people who wanted to bring it back. You know, they were, they were scared that people were starting to want to live again. And they wanted to scare people again. And we'll see more of these accounts. But the sad thing, yes, a lot of this stuff is pretty funny. It is pretty funny. But the sad thing is that real doctors like Jay Bhattacharya and, 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 uh, <clears throat> and Marty McCary and other real doctors, Peter McCullum alone, they were canceled. They were suspended from the former Twitter bosses. They, they, they suspended those accounts of real doctors who wanted to get real information out there to people. Real doctors who wanted to get real information out there that could have saved lives, that could have made people more aware of, of the, the situation and made them make a better decision. They were canceled, but accounts like this, an ind uh, just a guy from the outside, Guterman, training, had to do 10 minutes of research to find out they were, to prove, to prove they weren't real. But those accounts were allowed to exist and flourish throughout the entire pandemic. The entire pandemic. No wonder why most Democrats, when the poll was taken in the middle of the pandemic, most Democrats believed that half the people who got COVID ended up in the hospital, 50%. They believed one in every two people. This is what Democrats believed. It was on Bill Maher, right? One of every two Democrats believed that Democrats believed one out of every two people that contracted COVID ended up in the hospital. A lot of it's from accounts like this, where you have one person saying they knew 30 people who got COVID, or one person saying they had three close relatives that died, 
all this fake because we know from the statistics it would be like one in 10 million chance of that happening to one person let alone all the people we were seeing on twitter saying these things and i knew all these accounts were there i have my own reasoning behind it and it wasn't was someone just was was brady just here brady just left ah attention deficit disorder is a terrible thing um but uh the the, the fact is that I think they were doing this not to make fun at liberals. It was too serious to make. It, was too, it wasn't like an onion or a Babylon Bee because it was too serious for that. There was no punchline. There was no even there was no humor in there at all. It was just too serious. And the way they would go after people who questioned them, they, they weren't trying to poke fun at liberals. This wasn't satire. These were people who really wanted people to be afraid. They wanted I'll get you in one second. Don't go anywhere. Another one with ADD. Karthik. Don't go anywhere. But they wanted people to be afraid, right? That's what they wanted. They wanted people to be afraid of this. They wanted to create that fear and hysteria. They have an illness. They have their their branch covidians. It's a cult. It's a religion. And this is what they wanted. This is what they wanted then. This is what they wanted in 2022. And this is what they want now to be afraid and this to be never ending. Karthik, I haven't heard you in a while. I see you coming. How you doing? You know, how you doing, man? Good to hear from you. Oh, what's up? Oh, sorry. One, one second. Oh, uh, hello. Can you hear me? Yep, loud and clear. Loud and clear. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, good evening to you. And uh, so, what what do you think of the chaos that's going on in the house? You know, if you'd listen to my show for more than two fucking seconds, Karthik. You would know what I feel, but I, 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 I need I you to miss me, I, man. I know you're a busy guy. I can recap again. I have no problem recapping again. I say the same thing over and over all the time. It doesn't matter. Um, I, I, I like the debate. <clears throat> I don't find there's any problem with the debate. Do I know what's going to happen? No, I, you know, like I said, I kind of appreciate the people who are holding out. I'm glad they don't just bend the knee the way the quote unquote progressives did when it came to voting for Pelosi. Um, but I think the only way McCarthy wins is if he gives them real concessions, which he obviously hasn't done. So, and I think there are still some of them who just don't want him no matter what. In other words, I don't think they trust him. Even oh, if yeah. Said, right, even if he says, I'm doing, I'm, that's the thing about this. Even if he says, I'm doing these things, he might just say that to get elected speaker. Then when he's speaker, say, go fuck yourself, right? And then he's got the power to, so I don't think they trust him. I don't, I don't think a lot of them trust. It probably is more than, it's more trust than concessions. I think he's given concessions. I think a lot of them don't trust he's going to, uh, live by his word. So is there, I, I, I don't know. What What do you think? Do you think it's going to be McCarthy or someone else? Uh, well, is there? I'm sure. Do you think there's somebody in the house that that you would like to be speaker? Anyone? Well, I'm not a really. I'm not really. You know, I must say I'm not a registered Republican. I'm not a Republican Party cheerleader. I just I want these hearings, man. I want whoever. Oh, me too. Yeah, whoever's going to hold the hearings and and real hearings, not like Benghazi as Matt. Case, I agree. Real, real hearings with real accountability. If the facts lead there. That's that's my number one priority at this point. So yeah, yeah, but Benghazi was always said, McCarthy has said he'll do it. I don't know if I tr- do. I trust him or not? I don't know. I mean, he has said he was. That's you know when during the during the midterm campaign he was saying it over and over again that we have to have <laughs> hearings on this and hearings on that and hearings on COVID and hearings on on this on Afghanistan and and the, and the laptop. So I, you know, I hope he holds his word. If he ends up winning, I think someone like Jim Jordan is probably more likely to do that. Steve Scalise, more likely, you know. If there's any hearings, there'll be sham hearings like Benghazi, because all these politicians, 
they're very class loyal, okay? The only time a rich person goes to jail is if they steal from other rich people. And all these politicians, you know, they, they all know the game. They, they all know that if, if they cover for others, then they'll also be protected. Well, that's yeah. what Matt Gates said he doesn't want. He doesn't want those. He doesn't want a by the numbers, you know, pro facto, you know, Benghazi hearing where nothing actually happened. Yeah, I'll, I'll be shocked if Hunter Biden or Fauci or anybody else of those types or, uh, goes to jail. I, 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 go, I, go to maybe jail. there'll be some fines or something. Yeah, going to jail yeah. would be great if the, if the evidence goes that way. But just just where they are totally proven to be in front of the American public proven to be liars and and charlatans with facts and evidence where where their reputations are destroyed that's pretty good also but that rarely happens that doesn't even happen in these hearings right that doesn't yeah, happen. And was, about... was Hillary Clinton's reputation really really destroyed no she she gave that stupid you know that that uh, soundbite who cares yeah. what happened you know who cares now that that's all they got from it they didn't really they didn't dent her reputation at all with that you yeah, know. at best it was damaged in the short term, but not really. Um, but I, I, I think it's really a, 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 a humorous how people like Matt Gates and you know Lauren Boebert and Marshall Greenberg are driving Kevin McCarthy crazy. But the progressives like AOC, Jamal Bowman, all they do is constantly capitulate to uh, Nancy Pelosi. Like Kim Jeffries, the a new Democratic leader, actually tried to like kick, like tried to defeat some of the progressives, you know, in Congress. But and but they're still uh, voting for him, and you know, like. Uh, uh, sucking up to him, right? They have no backbone. At least these people are showing yeah. some backbone, and we're getting the real democratic process we haven't seen in a century in the House. You know, and yeah, you probably you probably don't know this, but uh, last uh, I don't, I'm, I'm guessing you heard of forced the vote for the movement for Medicare for all, but after that, uh, last time uh, AOC was kicked off her committee by Nancy Pelosi. And she was pretty much thanking Nancy Pelosi for, for kicking her uh, out of the committee. Yeah, it, it was like some Wall Street committee or something. Right, right. I mean, this is. I mean, that's how phony can you be that you run on on getting rid of Pelosi? That how horrible how Pelosi is. Then you call her a mama bear. I mean, yeah, it wasn't just uh, Pelosi. <clears throat> all, all, all the progressive, you know, like Jamal Bowman, Alan, all those types. They, they all promised to do a hostile takeover of the Democratic Party, which you know, which is what I wanted. Um, somebody that is left wing. Uh, you didn't get it. Didn't yeah, get it. no, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that definitely didn't happen. You know, um, and, and just like how Matt Gates is trying to like draw concessions, you know, from uh, <laughs> you know Kevin McCarthy. I wish the progressive did that, like on every vote, not just for them on Medicare for all, but everything. Well, you know, well, and these people are holding out so long and embarrassing him so much that even if he ends up finally getting their votes or enough votes to win, I don't think I'd call it bending the knee. I think they have. They've really at this point. They've really. Uh, I guess serve notice to him that they're not going to take his shit. Yeah, he, even Trump yeah. said uh, that uh, they want him to vote for McCarthy, but they, you know they're, they're not even listening to Trump, which is rare. Right, Democrats couldn't even do this much. What they, what these people might be doing. Once again, I, don't, I haven't talked to any of them. I've, I've seen a few of them talk, but what they might be doing is something the Democrats didn't even have the the backbone to do, which is just at least at least get, at least make Pelosi uh, give her some humility. Right, that's it. Maybe they just want to give McCarthy a little more humble, make him a little more humble, make him go through this process and show that they do have power when they stick together. In the end, they'll give him the speaker. OK, but the Democrats didn't even do that to Pelosi. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're, right away. Right away. The they're first part vote, of the system. In, right away. The first round of voting. You're in. That's it. Five seconds. Done. 
you know? Yeah, they're 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 total cucks department, and that's because it you know it benefits them, you know, because 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 if they go along to get along, it's it helps their career, you know, because because they can get rich through their book deals and their speaking fees, you know, like pretty much like if you're in Congress for a few years now, uh, at least five years, you're pretty much guaranteed to be a millionaire. So, so the incentives to sell out, it doesn't matter like what you are, like how how left wing or right wing you are, the incentives to sell out are so strong that you almost have to. Yeah, I'm, I'm. You know, once again, we don't. I don't know all the backroom dealings. I don't know how much of it is promising things versus how much is like you know, uh, threatening <laughs> to take things away. You know, but I, I. Once again, I think the process is very much like um, the the mafia, which is that at first you promise. At first you say you can have. You know, we're going to give you this. We'll give you the protection. We'll give you something in order to for you to cooperate. And if you don't, then you know we'll go to the other way of doing it. So I think that's probably the same way it works. The same way it works. But regardless of what they're doing, where they're being greased or being threatened, these 20 people growing now by the day are not falling for it yet. You know, so I, where it goes from here, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if this is settled tomorrow or early next week. Yeah, one, way or the, one way or the other, whether it's McCarthy or yeah. steps in. But McCarthy seems to be – they both have their feet in the sand, right? They, 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 they're like – McCarthy's like, I'm not going anywhere. And he seems convincing. And those 20, 25 people are like, we're not voting for him. And that seemed convincing. So you oh. kind of at where, where do you go from there? You're a stalemate, right? Well, I have one idea. I don't know if you know this, but AOC and Rokana today said at MSNBC that, that, that they would be willing to vote for McCarthy. No. McCarthy? I yeah. They said, I thought they said a more moderate Republican. No, no, sorry. Uh, that, that was Rokana. But AOC did say that she'd be willing to vote for McCarthy you know, under certain um no no but i heard the only thing i heard which is not acceptable which i talked about in yesterday's show is ro connor said he would give his vote to a, he didn't say mccarthy a, yesterday he didn't say the name mccarthy he just yeah said sorry some, he said some quote, unquote, moderate republican if if the republicans give up most of their subpoena power and there's no way i'd agree to that no fucking way yeah and there's no way any of those people are gonna in that 2025 are gonna th- th- that'll become 50 That'll become 60 yeah, people. For sure. If there's no way they're going to give up their subpoena power because so many of them, that's why they were put there. And that's what they promised to their constituents. So no way. That's yeah, well, part, who, part whoever, of having the power is the, is the power definitely. of the subpoena. Yeah, yeah hearings. Well, whoever yeah. becomes speaker, it'll be either McCarthy or somebody who has who is exactly the same as McCarthy, you know? Because for Washington, uh, there's change on the outside, but continuity on yeah, the inside. Yeah, and why is Rokana so so concerned with protecting people from subpoenas? Who is it? What is he now, the defense attorney? Well, well because he, he's part of the system, you know? Yeah, but I understand that. But he was the one guy on Twitter who warned them, let's not do this. This seems like First Amendment violations. He was on the right side of history with those emails when everyone else was, was stomping on the Constitution. He knows they stomped on the Constitution. He was warning them not to do it. So why would he want to... What I think what he what he's really talking about is not the COVID investigations as much as the Hunter Biden laptop thing. He wants to protect Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. That's what he wants to do. But there's no well, way I'd give I'd give away any of my subpoena power on any issue. Yeah, those guys aren't going to jail ever, you know, because they're part of the ruling class. They're in power. Right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, g- good talk, man. Nice talking. Thanks, Carthy. Thanks for calling. Thanks. Well, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So look, once again, we'll see how this plays out. I don't know. It's a day to day thing. Every show, every every time I end the show, I say by tomorrow night show, maybe we'll have a speaker. But I don't know. The reason I say Friday is because maybe they don't want it to drag on through the weekend and go into next week. I don't know. But there's this. He's far away. As of right now, he needs 18, 18 more. He's got 200. So he needs 18 of the holdouts, which is 
18 at the what? 20 holdouts, 22 holdouts. I don't know. I don't know how he's going to do that overnight, but we'll see. It hasn't worked so far. He's lost uh, like one vote every day. So we'll see what happens. But whatever happens, I'll be right here talking about it tomorrow night. The show is in Let's Be Heard. It airs Monday night through Friday night, 11 p.m. sharp. If you're on the other side of the pond, like someone in the room right now. And um, that's it for tonight. I'll be back here tomorrow night. Uh, I'm Micah Chopley reminding you your influence counts.